Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. There is a chasm between you and I, Charles. A gap that cannot be crossed. With each passing day, I fear it will never be. Well, I don't have that fear because I'm pretty sure Charles and I have never been closer because I too wear a giant face obscuring helmet. I am, of course, Nico, and this is, of course, X's for Podcasts, the show where we take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it completely fucks your shit up. Welcome to the Dawn of X feed where we are talking about Jonathan Hickman's incredible, already legendary, complete revitalization of the Uncanny X-Men franchise in the form of House of X and Powers of Ten. As mentioned, I'm Nico. With me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Jonah. Hello, everyone. And alongside us are our two ride-or-die mutant brethren, the two guys who keep this whole thing moving with us. We have Dylan. Hello. And we have Kyle. Hey, yeah. So, guys, this thing is like, my brain is just in pieces at this point, because, you know, every time I get one of these, I'm like, okay, I think this is going to be the point where it falls off and I get kind of sad. But no, yeah, there's no way that it's two series that are really one. No, it is. It's so much two series that are really one. Oh my fucking God. Jonah, you've never gotten the opportunity to be part of an X event like this. How are you doing trying to follow this weekly adventure? You know, I feel lost. This is everyone. There are more and more questions added to us every single day uh, with these issues and new details that people are finding out because this run is chock full of details. So I'm doing my best to keep my head afloat and basically figure out what really is going on. And I think we got some really major important puzzle pieces to finding the larger story of where the X-Verse is going. Absolutely. And half of that is trying to figure out who the hell some of these characters are. I keep being blown away because that guy we thought was Magneto, he's actually a chimera that's part Emma, part Polaris. That thing that I'm like, maybe that's Black Tom, which is why Black Tom shows up in the upcoming runs. No, that's Krakoa and Cypher. The levels of this story are just so incredible. Now, Dylan, for a guy like you who's read, like myself, an encyclopedic volume of X-Men. How do you feel about seeing all of these different threads come together? I know a number of your favorite characters are missing, but I do know they're also picking up on some rather obscure things you're a big fan of. It's pretty cool, like you said, that characters that we thought were other ones are actually combinations of completely different characters, so it's tying a lot of different threads, like Jonah said, together to kind of make everyone happy, but still also be confused as hell as to what is happening. You know, I want to jump in with something you said there. I've had a number of people tell me that this is like edgelording at its finest, 
and that everything this book is doing is just to shock people. But I have to be honest, my edgelording barometer walks around can bench to something and looks real good with a perfect cue ball shave. Kyle, when I think about people who keep me in line character wise, you're somebody I go to. You really look for the pure kindness of a character and a true sense of who they are. How are you handling all of these curveballs and they're fucking fireballs is what they are at this point. How do you feel about this X-Men narrative being completely turned on its head? You're right. This is completely turned on its head uh my my brain feels like it's exploding with information on all these new reveals and the new way of how this world is working and it's just i don't know where they're gonna go and it's that very palpable tension that's keeping us on the edge of our seats, not just as fans, but as podcast creators. Originally, I had foreseen doing each House and Powers together. We would cover House of X1 and Powers of 10 one, and then it turned out that they don't exactly always go in that order, and sometimes they switch. Okay, so then I thought we would cover one per episode. No, that's not going to work either, because I don't think there's a way to discuss Powers of 10, 2, and 3 without each other. In many ways, they exist as companion halves of the same story that was started on every other page of i don't it's it's so hard to like it all runs together it's it's been a really fascinating read though and i am personally eager to discuss it The first thing I noticed about Powers of Ten, number two and three, were that Hickman and Silva work so hard to make sure we understand what each element of this story means, even if we still have questions. For instance, and this is the first thing I want to discuss, Powers of Ten 3 ends with a pretty shocking reveal that Logan kills Moira 9 to send her back in time to become Moira 10 to do all of the great incredible house powers things we've been reading. But I don't believe Moira 9 can be our Moira because the timeline doesn't line up. I'm beginning to think the only Moira who can be our Moira is Moira 6, who we as yet don't know anything about. What was it like for you, Dylan, getting so much of this telemetry pulled into focus and yet so much of it remaining blurry in the rear view? The confusion factor, again, is awesome. It And it also kind of speaks to how X-Men books have been recently, that it's funny that a new story that is so confusing is actually pretty amazing compared to stuff we've had lately. The big reveal with Moira dying, it's fun to realize that what we thought was our normal future was actually just one of Moira's past lives that has already now ended. With that reveal, I think it just connects very well with that in utero shot from Powers 1 of Moira scowling. Moira 10 scowling, I should say. So... Because we didn't understand why she looked like that in that issue, and now we do. I completely agree. There's so many brilliant things like that hidden in the art. So one of the things that I think has me the most, like, thrown and rocked and, all I don't know, I guess for me and my sake... 
When I first saw the first Apocalypse standing next to Moira cover, I was like, what? No. What? Have they even met? What? And now, I don't know, between House of X number two and Powers of Ten two and three, I feel like part of me just accepts not only is Moira a mutant, but Moira and Apocalypse are like a rockin' couple. They are like the Brad and Angelina of X-Men right now. Right? I guess that, wait, does that make Charles Xavier <laughs> Jen Aniston? It totally yes, does. Yes, that makes Charles Xavier Jen Aniston. <laughs> that everything completely makes sense. Oh, I'm so glad we figured it out. Kyle, how do you feel about Moira, the representation of all things good and human, suddenly getting all snugly with the representation of all things kill all the humans? It's definitely changing my view of the Moira that we knew. I'm wondering just how much knowledge she's gained throughout her many lives that would lead her to think that teaming up with Apocalypse would be the answer to saving mutant kind. You know, and they keep using a word to describe her relationship with her increasing, I guess, life affairs with increasingly uh, murderous people. And they say it's that these events keep radicalizing her. And there's something immense about that radicalization that really reflects what's happening to the X-Men right now. It's fascinating that they've given her this ongoing rivalry with Destiny in just a handful of panels, because that handful of panels has told us so much about the course of where Moira's going to go, even though we understand a good nothing. Right, we understand nothing, absolutely nothing. Right, good. So I guess I'm going to turn to Jonah for a moment. Jonah, as far as I know, you're the reader here who doesn't really know what a Nimrod is. You're not really sure why we should care too much about a Master Mold. I mean, you fought one one time and that was a thing, but are these Sentinels bringing the sort of terrifying fear impact that the X-Men are looking for for you? I'm going to say yes, and I think it's because... Sentinels that I've seen them so far in earlier Uncanny X-Men, they're just there to kill. They're not doing much else. But seeing what Nimrod does, that he started making breeding pits on Mars, is kind of infinitely scarier. Being forced into a weird genetic sex slavery, kind of scary. And I wouldn't want to be Rasputin or any of the other chimeras, knowing that my entire existence was to kill other mutant kind. But also that I'm not really my own person. I'm genetically made up of other mutants. Yeah, there is something very genius splice body horror about so much of what's going on in this story and yet there are still these completely removed from the idea of body horror elements personally i don't know how i feel about wolverine and zorn just kind of running around is this our zorn or one of our zorns the whole thing with zorn being multiple identities is so complicated and convoluted at one point there was a zorn in brian Bendis's run running around around the time of Battle of the Atom. Ultimately, as much as I love that helmet and that identity, I am a little confused by who they're supposed to be. At the same time, I find myself maybe a little annoyed that Wolverine is still running around. It does seem like the easy way out to keep Wolverine running around in a future timeline, like Here Comes Tomorrow. Dylan, without saying the name of too many people under that helmet, this Zorn story... Does this feel like an incongruous element for you, or are you along for the Zorn ride? I agree with what you said. It's a little confusing, especially if you know how many of them there has been, and who's been under that helmet. And that one of them has a brother or something? Yeah, and that uh, the brother is just like him. Yeah, it's really confusing. 
But I'm kind of hoping that maybe with this story from Hickman, that maybe we will finally have some more clarity, even though it, we know what happened to Zorn in Powers 3. Yeah, if we can, I, I that, oh, 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 that moment where Rasputin's like, yeah, you know, I don't know what happens if I pull this helmet off. Let's find out. And Karima's like, oh, dip. Yeah. I, my jaw dropped. I loved that moment. I loved everything about the art in that moment. I thought the writing was just so spot on. There have been moments I've had trouble with some of the writing. Like, I personally did not care for Scott being kind of like, you never know when it's gonna rain sentinels. I just thought that was a little, like, whimsical, maybe? But I think a lot of the dialogue for the new characters, because there isn't a whole lot of canon for me to compare it to, has felt really natural. And I feel like I know who Rasputin is, even if I don't know if I'll ever see her again. And that's been really exciting. John Hickman has the ability to create really memorable characters on the fly. And I think that's incredible. I will say this. I can't imagine this is the end of us seeing Rasputin or Cardinal because Rasputin and Cardinal are featured in so much art. And Rasputin herself has been the focal point and on the covers of many of these issues. So I can't imagine we're done seeing her for the time being. When I think about alternate futures and alternate timelines and I start running through all of the incredible characters, I think about Bishop and Deathbird daughter from X-Men The End, Ruby Summers from X-Factor. I think about the number of Ascani characters that I loved and faded away. There are so many iterations of so many characters, and there are so many later generation characters synthesized out of icons we already know and love it would be kind of more of the fodder for that fire to see that happen but you know when i think about these characters and alternate versions and how much people come to love and identify with those alternate versions i certainly think a lot about age of apocalypse where i think about blink or nightcrawler and x-man nate gray x-man yeah i think about these terrific contrast identities that really support the characters that we know and love and i feel like it would be a waste to lose Cardinal and Rasputin. I know it's only been a handful of issues, but I feel like we've all gotten reasonably attached. I know that I'm even strangely enough attached to this apocalypse. I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm like, no, I like him. I want to see what happened. I don't know how this has happened. Especially for me, me being the Nightcrawler fanboy of this project and podcast, uh, Cardinal is combined of two of my favorite characters of being Nightcrawler, pretty obvious, and Jean, but also a third individual mutant called Freeman. I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, I don't know who that is, but I will say if he gets more panel time, I would probably fall in love with North. Yeah, Kyle, have any of these incredible Chimera characters, Kyle Chimera characters, ooh, have any of these amazing Chimera characters caught your fancy? I really, really liked Rasputin. Honestly, I don't know what about her. She just feels incredibly strong and willing to do what needs to be done for her people, and I love that. If you're not going to name Cardinal, I'll gladly trade my super cool Rasputin cover for your Cardinal cover because that thing is sweet. I <laughs> love that Cardinal cover so much. <laughs> I gotta say, some of the variants that Kyle and I have been sending pictures of each other back and forth Wednesdays, I got this one! Which one did you get? <laughs> like, we've been getting so excited for these variants because they've been so great. Jonah and Kyle both have the Emma variant for Powers of X3. God bless my beautiful, beautiful Emma it's... Frost. 
so maybe good. this time, maybe this time she'll get it. You know, she'll have that part in Cabaret. You know, I think that the Gene through the ages cover for House of X two has really just knocked my socks off. Dylan, have there been any variants that really caught your attention? Uh, House of X number one had a variant of the Generations of Storm. So, and that's I think oh, that the, one was great. I think that's the only one I've gotten. So. That's why I'm partial to it. I'll be honest. I was shocked, but I really love that Cyclops Optic Blast color shade cover. It's unusual that I would want a Cyclops cover, but I find myself really drawn to that one. Yeah. Did you just say something positive about him? Yeah. It's like I'm looking at him through Ruby Quartz glasses or something. I think I love Krakoa Cypher the most because he's like, I mean, I'm assuming he sounds like that because for all I know, he's like, this body was once and you know, like, I don't know what he sounds like. Don't worry about anything ever again. But like that he exists at all raises so many questions. How, how long did Doug's body survive? And what does that have to do with the technarchy and the phalanx? Are they just repurposed words or are we actually going to go back to the technarchy and the phalanx? Talking about Technarchy and Phalanx is not something I'm very familiar with. I'm vaguely aware of who Warlock is because Nico loves him. But that being said, it is related to a scientific theory that I am a fan of, and that is kind of scary in its own right, in talking about different technologies and different civilizations of what level they are. That is a theory going around about different life forms that are not from Earth, and time isn't linear, time works differently when you're in space, and we can't really be the only creatures out in the universe but if we aren't you know what level of civilization and how far technology has advanced for these different civilizations kind of relates to how hostile they would be if they invaded this very moment what would that mean for us that's kind of what they're doing talking about the phalanx and technarchy and that's what that kind of relates to for me great so now there's cosmic gray goo i have new things to be afraid of <sighs> i do want to Talk about an interesting question because we keep green rooming and we keep talking about, well, what's which version of reality? We are going to have to make some sort of compromise as a fandom on the inherent stasis of this story because it's true, Moira's life has reiterated again and that changes the course of reality, but it's not like the X-Men appearing in Savage Avengers like Wolverine are suddenly talking about their time back on Krakoa for the last however long. The reiteration hasn't breached the other X-Men books yet, so we can't be sure what's changed in what ways yet. The Fantastic Four, for instance, reacted to the X-Men as though all of this were very new in the last few months, and we don't know what elements of X-Men canon are being stricken, adjusted, or propelled further. So at the moment, it's really hard to say what is and isn't X-reality, because no other book is acknowledging these events, and even if we're being told these events happened, the ripple effect seems to rely on our knowledge of Prime 616 as a point of contrast to reconcile. So that's going to be something that we need to really look out in House of X and Powers of Ten for. How are the X-Men who are experiencing this canonical rejuvenation, 
going to see that translated into their interactions with other titles as a number of X-Men are members of other books. Without that history, if Apocalypse has never been a mass murderer, Apocalypse then just becomes another X-Man working with the X-Men. But if we understand how this all comes together, if we see that Apocalypse just didn't wake up one morning a good guy, there's some element of that idea of contrast that makes it exciting that he's a good guy. Because at the end of the day, if Black Tom is just standing in as Banshee, okay, but then I need to know that Black Tom is just standing in as Banshee. If Apocalypse is just standing in for any number of reformed bad guys who have joined Excalibur, for instance, Colossus, when he finally stopped being temporarily slightly evil, joined Excalibur. When Juggernaut was reformed, he joined new Excalibur. I think I need to know how reality is being rewritten. It's too much to ask me to just trust that it'll all make sense someday. I know this is a five-year plan, but I do think I need to know what version of time I should assume going forward is the time that we're going by. Otherwise, I feel like we may be winding up for a very muddled ending. We've seen that they're laying the the groundwork for this. I think that seeing all this work that Moira is putting towards this future is what's going to bring us up to date to where we need to be when this new line launches. Dylan, for your sake, with the idea that the X-Men have this grand tradition of future timelines, like the Uncanny X people in MC2 or X-Men 2099, We've seen so many iterations of the X-Men in the future, the X-Men from the end of time, whether it's Bishop the Last X-Man or it's Cable being thrown about the time stream. Do you ever find yourself just so burnt out on these alternate universe iterations? It's just the MO for X-Men. They always are, in our current time, the most hated and then... In the future, they seem to still be the most hated. The alternate timelines, I think it it slightly gives people the idea of, hey, it could be incredibly worse. So 616 is better. It's scraping the bottom of the barrel if you're like, this is the timeline that's Candide. One of the things I've enjoyed the most is that Nimrod is given an enormous amount of characterization. Instead of being just another, you know, Zeep Zorp will stab you, shoot you robot, boop boop, he's a character with intelligence and a personality. While for my sake, I didn't need him to kill henchmen to prove to me that he's evil. I know he's evil. So I like that he at least only killed them when he felt that he was, like, disrespected? if that makes any sense. But at the same time, I'm sort of sad that Karima seems to be just like a killing machine and devoid of a lot of the personality that I love in Karima. Now, I mean, yeah, it's some considerable time later, so it makes sense that she's changed. But I'm eager to know more about her and her journey that brought her here. 
Now, Kyle, I think this is your first experience reading Karima, if I'm not mistaken, and Jonah, yours as well. What are you guys taking from this? I'm not sure how to react to her. She just, to me, she seems very one-dimensional. She just kind of seems to be somebody who follows orders. I don't think I can make any kind of connection with her right now. I think one of the things that makes it so unusual is she's a human who was turned into a robot who's here to kill mutants, and they think she's some sort of god of machine people. Jonah, this is, without a doubt, one of the most far-reaching stories we've read on this show. Are villains like Nimrod and Karima helping you connect with the material, or are these sort of like killing machine characters making it harder to connect with the narrative? I think it's overall helping the narrative and will continue to help it, but I don't think it's having the full effect just yet because there's still so much information we don't know yet, so... I don't know the full extent of how scary Nimrod and Karima are at this time. You know, I can get from their personalities and some of their actions how evil they really are, but it's not fully connecting for me yet because we're still in the dark about so many different things. And for me to really, you know, enjoy a villain and have their evil and battery kind of have a more effect on me, I need to see more of it as opposed to just reading a little bit of it. Those little glimpses that have been enough for the heroes because there's so much about the heroes and the chimeras that we identify with. We love the iconography of seeing someone made of steel named Rasputin. We just love that. And Cardinal, a religious, God-fearing mutant that looks like Kurt. Well, we can get behind that. And it's been such a fascinating journey to get to where we are. What I think is more shocking than anything is we're one issue from the halfway point. I can't even imagine what we're going to get from House of X3. Does anybody have any predictions about what's coming up? I think we might be following Scott in the mission that Charles gave him in House of X3. Ooh, right. They need to destroy the Mother Mold. I could believe that. I also think we probably need to see a little bit more Mystique and Sabretooth at some point. That story there, while it could have been just a device to show us a little bit of what's going on in the world, felt a bit like... Perhaps Mystique has somewhere to go in all of this. And I think Jonah's right with the whole mission of Cyclops, because if you go out there and look at House of X number three's cover, it has Cyclops and a small team of mixed X-Men, which includes the most perfect X-Man ever, Monet, and Master Mold is in the background. Ooh. Kyle, while we know that there's going to be Cyclops and Master Mold and Monet and ooh, do you have any predictions on the future of House of X and House of X number three? Honestly, I'm not really sure just yet. I'm hoping that we get some kind of hints at where some of our other team leaders are heading. Like, I'd, I'd like to see something with Storm, because we, we have seen her make appearances, and she has had a variant cover, a couple of variant covers, so I'm hoping that we get some time actually with her now. She's one of those characters like Kitty, like Gambit, who, for so many people, the X-Men come back to over and over again. I feel like we haven't gotten a fair shake with Rogue, or Bishop, or any number of 
really mainstream X-Men in favor of this very minimalist view of the X-verse from a very large perspective. Because that's one of the most fascinating things that House of X and Powers of Ten are balancing. An incredibly microcosmic view into a macrocosmic idea. We're not just seeing the X-Men advance. We're seeing the X-Men advance on the world stage. We're seeing a cosmic reimagining of the now from many different perspectives. It's more than just about seeing the X-Men reach their potential in the eyes of storytelling. This is about moving the X-Men franchise forward. One of the most complicated things to say about comics is frequently characters get hung up on one or two most common iterations. Mark Wade once said that everybody since Frank Miller has been writing shades of Frank Miller on Daredevil with the exception of Carl Kiesel. And I guess perhaps I could see some of that a little bit. <clears throat> but at the same time, I think the same could be said of X-Men. Once Chris Claremont left the title, there was no going back. The X-Men became stuck where Claremont had left them. Now, that was never the case with Claremont before. Chris Claremont worked hard to keep the X-Men moving in different cycles. The characters constantly advanced. The enemies changed dynamically over time. The idea was always to find the idea the next stage of evolution. From the time he left until roughly the introduction of Grant Morrison's new X-Men, the X-Men entered a holding pattern. After Grant Morrison's new X-Men, everything was shades of new X-Men until it was shades of Claremont again. This truly, for my sake, is the first time we're seeing a very different take on the X-Men in almost 20 years. Of course, the cost does seem to be getting to spend time with the characters we love. These characters have guided the X narrative for 60 years now. Storm is as intrinsic a part of the X-Men as Xavier himself. So the idea that we can spend so much time with the team and yet so little time with these characters when they truly can't appear anywhere else in the Marvel Universe right now, that's very shocking to me. I've loved this journey, and I've loved where we're going. I want to thank everybody for coming out and talking about powers and house, and there's just so much going on in this event that it can be so hard to even try and keep track of what's going on. The X-Men have been working for years on this narrative, and they have put in incredible detail and incredible time. This is along the lines of Jonathan Hickman and his big science, and I am very excited to see where it's going to go from there. But until we come back, Kyle, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Terrific. And Dylan, until you're gracing our amazing network again, where can everybody find you? Everyone can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N. And you can find me almost every single moment of my hundred or thousand year lives on Facebook on my X-Men group called House of X. Absolutely. And guys, I can't say enough about what a great group it is. Lots of super awesome mega fans, just like Dylan and the rest of us. I super recommend if you're looking for fandom and camaraderie that you could do a whole lot worse than the original House of X. Now, Jonah, where would everyone be able to find you? 
not traveling through famine's Krakoa portals by opening his chest. You could actually find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Nico, where can everybody find you? You guys can find me here on the Cage Club Network on all sorts of shows like Now and Again, where I talk about pop music with my childhood best friend, Chris Podcast. You can also check me out on HTML, Husbands Talking More or Less, with my amazing husband, Kevo, where we're currently talking about the Alien movie franchise and its neighboring friends in a show called Alien Legacy. Don't forget to check out my amazing comic book over at KidRiotComics.com, where we make inclusive comics about a modern superhero for a modern audience. Remember to look me up on Instagram, NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And until we come back, and should forever end, let me die in battle, surrounded by my fallen enemies and with blood on my sword. Apocalypse.